0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about globalization and the effects it has had on other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each program we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on globalization as it has affected them. Peter going to start again here. okay? Just come back to, this, to the start. Hello, this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a programme about globalisation and the effects it has had on Ireland and other countries around the world over the last 50 years or so. In each programme, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on globalisation as it has affected them, their country and its relationship with the wider world. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business, and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today, we are off to Denmark, one of our small country peers in the European Union and a country that is often held up by some politicians and commentators here in Ireland as a country that we should aim to emulate in terms of equality, social services and environmental protection. We will be talking with Sten Vesterly. Sten is a man with a long professional track record in the IT industry and is one of Europe's leading experts on software development and is one of about only 20 Oracle ACE directors worldwide and an author of three books on software development. Sten runs an independent consultancy business and conducts business internationally from his base in Denmark, and his stated mission is to make IT live up to its promise. And today we will be finding out just how exactly he does that. I'm delighted to welcome Sten on the line from Copenhagen in Denmark. Welcome, Sten, and thank you very much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here, Patrick.
0: Great to have you. Sten, could you tell us to start off a little bit about your your background and your career to date and how you came to be an independent uh, consultant? I believe maybe some sort of excommunication was part of the process.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. So um, I'm an electrical engineer by training. I started in a consultancy company back in 1995 that worked exclusively with Oracle Software. And I worked with their software and became an expert and was part of their of Oracle's independent um, corps of uh, of expert advisors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I started my own company in partnership with a couple of others in 2003. And uh, well, the excommunication comes in at the point where I was uh, starting to see some things that Oracle weren't really doing the way they should. So my first duty is, of course, to my uh, to my clients. So I was telling my clients, you know, you know, this stuff here, maybe you should hold off a bit on that, and uh, which was not uh, terribly popular with Oracle. So, I was excommunicated from their customer advocates program.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and despite that you are you're an Oracle Ace Director, which is an award that they gave you, right?
1: Well, they can, well, you know, they can give it and they can take it
0: away. So,
1: <laughs> so I am an, I'm now an ex director <laughs> for Oracle.
0: I see. So tell me, what, what exactly, so for a lay person, you know, I'm not an IT person, what, what exactly is Oracle? And maybe what are some of the misconceptions about what it is and what it isn't, even among your clients?
1: Well, Oracle is a big American software company, and they got started way back in 79, I think. They built one of the first database systems. Before that, there weren't really any, you would have to code every system specific for a specific computer. And Oracle built one of the first database systems, and they're still known for their database. And that's um, one of the misconceptions there is that the oracle database is a really good database but other databases have caught up so what i'm seeing is that my customers are using expensive oracle data buying expensive oracle database licenses for a lot of a lot of uh, systems where less could do
0: i see so uh, let me see if i can kind of clear this in my own head you know many companies have uh, uh, ERP systems, whether it's SAP or JD Edwards or BAN or whatever it is they have. Uh, w- w- where, yes. th- where does Oracle sit into that? Are they using Oracle databases or does Oracle have an ERP offering as well?
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is that Oracle has a database that lies underneath quite a lot, probably most ERP systems. So if you have an SAP system... In all likelihood, it will actually be running on top of an Oracle database.
0: I see. Okay. So
1: on one hand, they produce the underlying plumbing, the database that stores all of your all of your financial data. On the other hand, they're also an explicit competitor. They have uh, their own e-business suite, which is an ERP suite. And they've actually been buying up left and right. So JD Edwards is actually an Oracle product. PeopleSoft is an Oracle product. Siebel is an Oracle product today.
0: I see.
1: And on top of all the old stuff, they've also built a new cloud-based service. So something that you would just basically sign up and the whole thing runs on Oracle servers. Okay. So So, they sell applications mm, and database.
0: I see. Okay. Interesting. That helps me to to get a little bit clearer in in my own head and I'm sure a lot of other uh, professionals out there um have some doubts about that. So today you're you're an independent uh consultant. I think I can call you a consultant. Correct me if if I'm okay. wrong. And uh so who are your clients and, and how do you help them? And what are some of the common outcomes that leaves them better off after they've worked with you than they were before?
1: So my clients are large IT organizations, and what happens – most of my clients are um, financial services, bank, insurance, and what I help is I say I I de-paralyze them. (laughs) They are – those were the, uh, the businesses that were first into IT. So a bank started out; they have, and they, they still have a huge mainframe somewhere in a basement. And on top of that, they've added layers and layers and layers of uh, of complexity. And many of these organizations that have been running IT for forty years, they are—they've hit the complexity wall. No matter how many resources they throw at a business development perspective, nothing happens
0: mm-hmm. because
1: everything is so entangled that they can't. Uh, that they can't make they can't make any changes so what i help them with is to carve out uh, or cut up uh, or deparalyze them so we can take systems out so we can actually add new systems which means that it spends most of their time keeping the lights on but and they're not really able to respond so the IT gets this bad rap from the business. Say, oh, you it, you know, it takes them forever and they can't do anything. Yes, they have they have 40 years of uh, 40 years of accumulated IT systems, mm-hmm. and I'm helping them cut through that so they can actually start moving and and um, take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves.
0: And do you do that on an advisory basis where you're the, the guru pointing them the way, or are, are you doing it in a hands-on basis, or d- does it depend on, on the requirement?
1: So generally, I do it as an advisory service today. So I look at their systems, I give, I provide advice. It could be on a specific project. We are going to implement X. How should we go about that? And how can we integrate uh, this with that? And I will typically work with with uh, their specialists at the level that's necessary. So sometimes we can just agree on an on a high level architecture. Other times, well, if I need to, I can drill in and I can work with the with the technicians, and we can have a look at oh, so there's this web service, and we need to convert it in that way. I can do that uh, if if necessary.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And you mentioned to us that generally the the clients are large companies, they're they're IT companies are in the financial services sector, but when you interact with them or when you enter into first contact with them to have that discussion about whether you're a good fit for each other and whether you can help them, who is it in in the hierarchy that you need to be talking to to get, you know, uh, in, in both of your best interests to get to the value?
1: So what the the contact is typically established at an IT manager level, somebody who has the the responsibility for a specific project or a specific um, uh, application or specific integration. And ideally, we would work together and we would see we would involve the CIO in seeing how can we solve this not just solve this specific one integration problem or one uh, project that is, that is stuck. How can we do something a little more, a little larger that will have benefits, uh, further benefit than just for the, the specific project?
0: I see. And that's interesting because I wanted to ask you how you relate your interventions, which you know, may be viewed by some as quite technical and, and tactical to more strategic business outcomes how how is that done how is that gap breached
1: the cio can typically see the what the, what value he or she will get from from the paralyzation so that means that the the it manager has uh, the responsibility for a specific set of, of systems, and they only they see their part. But where the strategic benefit comes in is where the whole organization is suddenly able to move again. Mm-hmm. Which means that it's not just you know the the specific project that had the problem, but the uh, the CIO can see that he gains some of the business agility that he was that he was looking for. But he is he's. Um, unable to achieve so that's the st- strategic benefit
0: I see. and do you work internationally and, and if you do what where where do you I know you're based in Denmark but do you where do you work internationally?
1: So yeah most of my customers today are Denmark and you know the countries around we have I have some Sweden Germany etc. Uh, I do have some international clients I have some in the US and some in the Middle East that have where I've been working that I've been working with uh, remotely. Um, As a matter of fact, I worked with the uh, with the National Treasury Management Agency in Ireland. Oh, really? And without without yes, and uh, without ever uh, without ever going to visit them. Okay. So uh, (laughs) so that is something that was not a large intervention, but I was advising them on uh, on a technology transition project, and sometimes we can do that through through uh, calls, through documents back and forth, and that is uh, that's. All that's needed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I guess um, that kind of plays as well into the environmental agenda, doesn't it? That we don't necessarily need to be getting on planes all the time. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so, your ambitions then for the business and for yourself professionally over the next number of uh, next number of years, what would they be?
1: Well, I want to I want to reach more people, so I can help them, so I can make IT live up to its promise. What we're seeing is that. That in some organizations they are they have they have so many uh, they have so many skills they have so much knowledge about their customers and what happens is that um, that they're not able to take advantage of it because they have wrapped themselves into old systems a tangled web of old systems so I want to um like I love uh, helping people use i t to reach their goals. And what happens is that companies are unable to do that. So I want just want to keep doing what I'm doing, but reach more people so I can help more people.
0: Yeah, and as you say, make IT live up to its promise rather than frustrating many of us, which is what it tends to do often. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, yes, yes. But it doesn't have to be that way. way, that way. What happens is that you can see the, the, um, the great IT experiences that, we get is most of the time somebody who has built something new from scratch
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's a it's uh, it is a bit of an unfair comparison to say well this company has been running a bank with it for 40 or 50 years and we're comparing them with some startup who built their first application six months ago sure they start from a blank slate and they can make use of Everything that IT has to offer right now, yeah, the sim- and I want to have that help establish organizations.
0: Yeah, yeah, they have the advan- benefit. Do you have the advantage of uh, the simplicity and the elegance that they get from starting from zeros? Isn't that right?
1: Exactly. All the knowledge that's been accumulated over these years and all the improvements in tools and technologies.
0: Okay, my next uh, question, Stan, is a little bit um, tongue-in-cheek, but tell me, why does every country in the world want to be Denmark?
1: Well, you see, that's uh, – yeah, that's funny. Um, you see, w- what everybody wants is – it's kind of a half argument. Like everybody wants what we have, but nobody wants to pay what we're
0: paying. Yeah, sure.
1: So, so it's easy to say you – know, if you put something out to, to the voters and say, would you like more of this? Oh yes, please. Would you like more of this if your taxes go up? Well, maybe not. (laughs) So, So it's not like those of us who live here, we are happy with the way our society, that we've organized our society, but we're less happy about, you know, the cost of it, the cost of it all.
0: Sure. And, and Denmark then, how does Denmark see itself in, in relation to the, to the rest of Europe and the, and the EU project? And, and in that context, why is Denmark not in the euro?
1: Well, we are, we're actually, uh, well, we weren't a core member. We came in in 73 together with the UK. And us, and us, then, and, us and,
0: and with us. And with Ireland, yes,
1: oh yes, yes, yes. and uh, so you maybe came, so maybe you came in on the with the same argument that we did that you know when the UK comes in you know we can't sell them our products if they're in and we're out. Yeah. So, uh, so that's so that's how we came in. We've been um, slightly reluctant. Uh, because. Probably because uh, we think that, uh, like every other country, that uh, we know exactly how things should be done, <laughs> and and the the euro, um, we voted uh, we voted no to the um, to the euro to keep some at least some nominal independence. In practice, uh, the Danish kroner is tied. Very very tightly to the euro. Yeah. So in effect, we have we are for all practical purposes part of the euro, but we still have our we still have our national currency. But uh, in practice, it doesn't make a lot of difference.
0: Sure. Okay. And in what ways then? Uh, so you know, when we um, think of Scandinavia, and I guess. A lot of the um, the crime fiction and the dramatization of that on, on TV and film has become quite quite popular and people have become much more familiar with, with that part of the world. But there are differences between the different countries. So what would you say, in what ways is Denmark similar to or different from your close neighbors, say, in Norway and Sweden?
1: Well, we are culturally and linguistically pretty close. So we can understand each other's language, etc., but geographically, there is a big difference because Norway is a big mountainous country. Sweden is a big country also lots of mountain forest and Denmark is a very small country we're all agriculture so so there is there is a big geographical difference, and there's also a difference in in what we in what we produce so norway is norway is by far the richest country and they're rich on natural resources
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so so they have uh, they have their they have the money to uh, to create infrastructure in their in their very long uh, mountainous uh, country Sweden has lots of resources and they have built big uh, industry Denmark doesn't really have much in the way of industry Sweden has lot of big um, powerful world leading industrial organizations Denmark is a small country and we 've always been war traders mm-hmm. um, and so that's there is a difference in in both in the in the geography and also i think that 's probably what spills over into the um,
0: into the um,
1: the structure of uh, of our of our organizations and our companies
0: mm-hmm. I often reflect on uh, the way the world is today, because you know, as you know, I, you know, I work in supply chain and, and you get to see all of these connections around the world. And all of that is a product of this uh, global economic uh, globalization that's been going on since the 1970s or so. And even, I guess, the fact that we know each other and the fact that we're having a conversation is kind of part of that. This probably wouldn't have happened. 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So what's your view on the the merits or otherwise of this economic globalization? Do you see it as a positive thing, a negative thing, or something a little bit more in between?
1: I see it as a positive thing, but there is... So everybody benefits, has benefited, and continues to benefit from globalization. But there are just some that benefit more than others. So if you have... Uh, a skill, a product, a service, something that can be sold globally, that means that the value of your skills of your product of your company goes up when you have access to the whole world yeah sure, and that means that so if you 're a hairdresser well you don't you you're stuck to your local market. But if you create an internet service, you have the whole world. So it's natural that, um, that globalization means that some people and some organizations benefit very much and others, um, and others much less so.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting perspective and distinction. So that we, uh, right now at the moment, where do you think we are? So we're seeing this pushback, you know, in terms of nativism, rising nationalism, trade protectionism and so on. Do you think we're in reverse or we, it's just a glitch or maybe we're changing direction? Where do you think we are now?
1: Well, I think that um, that we, ha- we had a, a period, especially after uh, – after the uh, the fall of the uh, of the Iron Curtain, where a lot of people you know they read uh, Fukuyama and said, "Oh yes, the end of history is here, which is incidentally not exactly not what fukuyama was actually was actually arguing, but he identified this okay, the question will liberal democracy and our way of of arranging ourselves in the West is that going to be uh, Is that going to be dominant in the whole world? And we had a lot of uh, people who thought that that was the way it was going to be. And after a while, we realized that, you know, that is not – that was not – necessarily going to happen. There was not a law of nature that every every uh, civilization or every country would end up looking like the West. But it was just a very popular um, conception in the... Um, it was the conception in Western countries and in the United States that everybody wanted to be just like us.
0: Yeah, and it's and, not, uh, not so...
1: Yeah, so um, what's What happens is that um, I was just I was just reread Huntington's uh, Clash of Civilizations uh, recently, Mm -hmm. and we're seeing that it's even though it's twenty more than twenty years old, his analysis is still valid. That we're seeing some fault lines between different cultures. So that's why we're seeing um, seeing trade wars with China. But the, nationalize, the nationalism that we're seeing does not really seriously apply within, for instance, Europe. Like we're identifying ourselves with our nation state, but it's not like, like uh, the EU is going to uh, fragment into nation states with, uh, with terrorists again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. So tell me, Stan, when, when you're not working... In or on your business, what kind of things do you like to do in your free time? Like, I, I understand that you fly planes and you practice some adventure sports and some things like that. Isn't that so?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. So I love to have uh, have projects outside work. So uh, you know, I'll line up something. I say, okay, this will be this will be interesting. So uh, so I'll go and figure out how to. Um, how to do that so you know i've been diving and paragliding and skydiving and um, <laughs> i decided i decided i want to climb mont blanc uh, in the in in france at the highest point in, in in europe so uh so i learned some alpine techniques so i could you know climb the mountain well wow. um and i decided i wanted to do an Ironman, so uh so i hired a coach and i figured out what does it take and i trained that takes about a year of training <laughs> so i did, and i did my um I did my um, completed my Ironman in Copenhagen some years ago.
0: Great, excellent.
1: And uh, yeah, and so so the one of my uh, one of my recent things was I was just, I um, I've always wanted to um, to be able to fly an airplane. So I started. Okay, so now it's time I think for for me to pick up this project. So I studied and took my uh, my private pilot's license. That takes also takes. About a year, there's the theory and the radio and the practical flying and the security procedures and all that. So, um, so now I have um, a private pilot's license, and that's uh, that's something that I can. We'll definitely notice that there's there's going to be new projects in the in the flying that I can continue working (laughs) on. So you can there is there is aerobatics and there is night flying and there (laughs) is instrument flying. So I can continue on the on my flying projects for a long time.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think you're unstoppable, Stan. (laughs) So tell me, just to finish then, Sten, uh, for listeners who'd like to learn more about you, more about your business and how they can benefit from working with you, could you let them know where they can find you and and make contact?
1: Yes, so I think the easiest would be to uh, find me on LinkedIn, Sten Vesterly, S-T-E-N-V-E-S-T-E-R-L-I. There aren't that many Vesterlies, so I'm uh, (laughs) pretty easy to find. And I have, you can find me on my website, which is com, or you can just Google Stan Vestley, and I'll show up with the, the last, uh, with the articles and the books and the conferences and the stuff I've been doing for uh, for some years. So I'm pretty easy to find.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Stan. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Uh, thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you To formulate and implement your own strategies, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye. Until next time.